Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, Ohio State fans. Welcome to the Bucknuts Happy Hour. We are well into it now, aren't we? Uh, headed into what week week nine of the college football season, eighth game for the Buckeyes coming up this week as they travel on the road for the second time this year, headed to Penn State to take on the Nittany Lions, number thirteen ranked team in the country. I'm Patrick Murphy. If you've been following along with us, you know how this works. It's the Bucknuts Happy Hour. We have some fun with it. Uh, do things a little differently. I'm actually not at my house where I normally am. I'm at Zaftig Brewery in Columbus on third and, or on fifth and Summit, and uh, I've recorded I think one other time from here. So they're one of my favorite bars. They show Ohio State football. They show soccer, which appeals to me. And uh, yeah, I've got one of their beers here, which I'll which I'll have throughout. We're going to talk Penn State today, and um, you know we'll hit on a lot of different topics, but. First, we're going to bring in Tyler Donahue from Lions 247, our site. I was on their podcast. Tyler, thanks for jumping on with us, and, and happy to have you here for the happy hour. I'm glad I can return to favor. I'm glad you found a, a brewery to saddle up to for your show. Um, I'm only drinking water right now. I got a one-year-old baby in the house. It's Thursday afternoon. I'm no fun. But I, I did throw that water into my mule mug for you in honor of oh, the happy go. hour theme. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, that's that's fantastic. It's not quite the fireball and ice that we had last week with David, but understand. David's different. a lot more fun than I am, and he's a bit <laughs> younger than I am, but he, he kills it on that Iowa beat. He's a good guy for you. He does. He does great. Uh, let's get into this because we, we could probably talk about this for multiple hours, but one of the big things that came up with Ohio State fans, and I'm not sure how much this reaches back to you guys, but even before this schedule was announced, Ohio State fans complain about the fact that it seems like every year when Ohio State goes to Penn State, it's a night game. It's the whiteout. The last several times uh, Penn State's come to Columbus, it's been an earlier game, big noon kickoff. We could go into the logistics of that, but just 
I've never even been to Penn State for a, a non-whiteout, non-night game. How do you think that may change things in terms of atmosphere and, and whatnot? What, what's it like for a noon game at Penn State, even when it's a big one? Well, let's start. It's got to be better than last time the Buckeyes came to That's the true. stadium. Right. That was the most eerie setting I've ever experienced. I mean, J- Justin Fields put on a clinic that night. It was it was an entertaining game at times, but it was silent in Beaver Stadium. There was nobody in there. Um, so it will not be the whiteout atmosphere. I know that Penn State and James Franklin this week have been pushing really hard, encouraging people to show up early, to pack the stadium early, to kind of replicate. They have a stripe out theme this week. Um, but there's something to be said about what you could call that all day energy uh, when you're not getting into the stadium until seven o'clock at night. The sun's already down uh, and you're ready to rock and roll. So Ohio State's going to encounter a little bit of, a, I would say, more of a tempered atmosphere than, than perhaps they have in the past with the whiteout setting. That would be an eight o'clock game. Maybe ESPN's game day is set up for the 48 hours preceding this. But everyone around here realizes what they could do with a strong performance and everyone around here, although I don't think there's a lot of confidence that the Nittany Lions are going to pull off an upset on Saturday among the fan base here. I think a lot of people do have to tip their cap towards what Penn state has done in this series. They've lost five games in a row. The average margin of victory is seven points. And you and I talked about this on the podcast earlier in the week, 15 and a half point spread last I checked. Um, That would certainly be a bit of an outlier in recent track record, especially when you factor into this game is, is in state college. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's the best atmosphere of a college football game I've been to. I haven't been to a lot of the sec stadiums. Um, you know, I've, I've been out West a little bit, but you know, in terms of just craziness, can't hear yourself think type of thing. It's, it's insane. If you've never been to, to the whiteout at Penn state, Put it on the bucket list, even if it's not an Ohio State game. I, I strongly encourage it. You, you mentioned kind of the, the mood around this game, what people are thinking. Does Penn State view Ohio State as the primary rival? There's obviously not that, that in-state conference team. There's not a, a Michigan like Ohio State has had, that long historic rivalry. So is, is that kind of the view from, from the fan base and, and maybe the team as well? I don't know if those two things come across different. When one of your mantras is unrivaled as a program, uh, <laughs> you know, they don't talk about rivalries much around here. That's just the way it is. And if you try to ask about rivalries, that's often the response you will get. I would probably <laughs> phrase it as Ohio State being the most significant hurdle on Penn State's schedule okay. on an annual basis. And I think that comes with a lot of respect for what the Buckeyes have been able to do on the recruiting trail uh, from program stability. I'm sure here in State College and, and in Ann Arbor, Uh, And all across the Big Ten, there was a lot of people keeping their fingers crossed that when Urban Meyer left, yeah, maybe there'd be some successful carryover for a year or two, but then the wheels might fall off and Ohio State would maybe face a bit of a crisis moment as a program. Never happened, right? I mean, they just kept going, kept winning, kept recruiting at a high level. And meanwhile, Penn State has had a couple clunker seasons, 2020, chalk it up to the pandemic as part of it, but four and five uh, after an 0 and five finish. Last year, after a 5-0 and finish, they finished 7-6. and And here they are, again, starting 5-0, and and they come out of a bye week, and people have one foot on the bandwagon because they want to see how it goes in a three-week span that has Michigan and Ohio State on the schedule. And they burned a lot of people's trust, I think, with that performance out of the bye week in a big noon kickoff setting on the road at Michigan. 
Uh, it was competitive for the first half, really, because Penn State was able to force some red zone field goals. Uh, Penn State, though, offensively had one first down versus two total touchdowns uh, over the course of that first half. They had a pick six on defense, and then things really got away from them in the second half. They gave up 400-plus rushing yards. Uh, Sean Clifford had a career-low completion percentage. They couldn't run the football. And overall, you just thought, well, what happened for the last couple of weeks as the team was 5-0 and sitting there at number 10 in the country? And I'll tell you what, um, I think the biggest thing to look for here if you're Ohio State is you are facing a Penn State team that that swung the momentum back in their favor against Minnesota. It was probably their most complete performance of the season in a high-stakes pressure setting. Um, yes, it was an inferior opponent from a talent perspective, and Tanner Morgan's out of the equation, but Muhammad Ibrahim came in on a roll. They, they kept him to 102 yards. That's the season yeah. low on 30 carries. Sean Clifford was booed early in the game at Beaver Stadium. By the end of the thing, he was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. So make sense of that what you will. And so Ohio State, I think the the best thing for them would be to impose their will either via a a key strong defensive stand early or a long drive uh, that that kind of showcases what they can do offensively. Otherwise, I think if you let Penn State – gain some of that traction, make sure that get the crowd to start buying into the possibility because right now people are just a little shaky because of what happened in Michigan, what, 12 days ago at this point. If you have any questions for Tyler and you're, you're watching this live about Penn state, about the program, anything about really anything Penn state, feel free to throw them in the chat. We'll, we'll have Tyler answer those while he's with us. You, you mentioned the Ryan day success successor to Urban Meyer and, and even, you know, Urban Meyer wasn't the direct successor to Jim Trestle. There was that one year gap with, with Luke Fickle, but how's that kind of viewed? I, I've asked this to, to people in, in different beats before, but, you know, Ohio State has probably been as steady as a team as there is, you know, at, at the top level across the country. Obviously Alabama has this dynasty that's, that's untouchable right now, but from, from a Penn State perspective, I imagine it's just frustrating that Ohio State has gone, successful coach successful coach successful coach now three in a row basically well you certainly can't be thrilled when when, when you know the team you're trying to get past it keeps getting right. it right and um and you know this is a program here at penn state that before i covered the team uh they had the same leader in place for their football program forever and then they had a a, a coach come for a couple of years and then bolt to the nfl and i think right. when james franklin showed up in 2014 no one necessarily said, well, this is a you know long-term piece. You kind of view James Franklin as an ascending figure who saw a bit of a messy situation at Penn State, but a really significant stepping stone for him. But he is a Pennsylvania guy. Ultimately, he won a Big Ten championship, kind of very surprising fashion in year three. And he's been able to, to, to put together some 11 win seasons while also dealing with some down seasons of late. And he's got a big long-term contract now. He's in year nine, if you can believe it. So I think there's a probably a better question to be asked for other Big Ten beat writers and programs where they are just constantly dealing with the coaching carousel. Um, Nebraska always seems to be looking for the, the next best thing. Uh, you can go down the list now. Wisconsin's in, in that mix. But uh, it looked like Penn State may be headed for a moment last year when, when Southern Cal was certainly interested in James Franklin and yeah. Penn State was playing very well through the first five, six weeks of the season. But at the end of by the end of the thing, it was a long term pact, and so um, I think while James Franklin is viewing Penn, Ohio State as a measuring stick in some ways, 
Um, they've had stability here too. And that's kind of the frustrating part because people see the stability. They see the same voice at the, at the front of the pack for Penn state, but going back to that great two elite speech after the 2018 game, when Ohio state came in here and won one game, they haven't seen that progress that James Franklin has publicly really pushed for. And, you know, it's got to start, that ownership has to start with him. You mentioned the Michigan game. You mentioned the Minnesota game last week. Kind of juxtaposing those performances, what what went right, what went wrong, and maybe what did Penn State do in between? Or was it just a difference in opponent? And, um, you know, obviously both teams, Michigan was able to run well. Minnesota wanted to run, wasn't able to. So, so what was the success versus failure differences between those two games? Yeah, I mean, I know they both finished September unbeaten, but let's not confuse Michigan with with Minnesota here in 2022. Um, Let's start there. But this was a Minnesota team that had been able to assert itself in the trenches. Uh, They were a very efficient team uh, among national leaders on third down rate on both sides of the football. And Penn State dominated on both sides of the football. Minnesota was was controlling the football in a lot of their games, even some of their losses. And and Penn State was really able to get a stalemate in time of possession after a week in which they had about 18 minutes of possession at Michigan. I think the easy thing to, I guess the easy answer is Penn State just didn't show up in the way they needed to at Michigan. And, and you know, PJ Mustafer is a two time team captain here, called it embarrassing. He said that a few times after the matchup at Michigan. I think they sat on it for about 48 hours, maybe 24 hours after that loss, realized they've got to hit the reset button. The, the, mm-hmm. the fairy tale 5 0 start is in the past. And, and now here they are with the reality of, of having to bounce back against Minnesota. And we all wondered, well, is the leadership good enough? Is James Franklin going to rally the troops um, or is it going to linger? Are they going to find a way to lose at home against Minnesota and set the stage for a three-game losing streak capped off against Ohio State? And then you're starting to think, well, what would that do? Because that happened last year, you know, 5-0. The five and three with a loss to Ohio State. What does that do for James Franklin? What does that do for the confidence in your recruiting class and all those sorts of questions? So they were able to really right the ship. And I get the sense that, uh, you know, although I do believe that Ohio State will come in and win on Saturday, I don't think Ohio State's going to boat race them. I think that happened to them already. I think they have kind of internally uh, had to deal with that mentally, and, and, and it was a physical beatdown as well. Um, but this is a pretty healthy Penn State team. And overall, I think they're in a good place from a momentum standpoint. Um, so there's really no excuse for them to come out and, and not start with some adrenaline, not start with some energy. And I'll be curious because Ohio State has so much firepower. Can they land those counter punches? Because I know Ohio State's going to get their blows in. Absolutely. The one One of the more intriguing players, I think, in the Big Ten is Sean Clifford, just because he's obviously he's obviously been a winner. Um, he, he has some some ridiculous games, but there's also those head scratching moments. It sort of reminds me back to when JT Barrett was here and, and his senior year and Dwayne Haskins gets a chance to play. Obviously, Drew Aller hasn't played. You know, Drew Aller hasn't had the same opportunity necessarily, but Dwayne Haskins had come in and in like that Michigan game and played really well. And people were calling for maybe Dwayne Haskins. And, and I get the sense that there's a similar frustration at times among the Penn State fans. How do you view this quarterback situation? Obviously, Sean Clifford's a starter, but does Drew Aller have a case that that maybe he could make things better if he were to come in, or or is this really the Sean Clifford team in your mind? 
by the way, I remember, I believe it was Micah Parsons calling for Dwayne Haskins to come yes, in off I the bench right. during his visit to Columbus. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Sean Clifford, when he made that decision to come back for his sixth year and to do it here at Penn State, he could have hit the transfer portal and said, hey, it's been a good run. I've got my degree. I'm 23 years old, going on 24 years old. Let me find a, a spot to finish this thing out. Him, Mike, James Franklin, offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich, it, it was a decision they all kind of came to that he was going to stick around. He announced that in December. At that point, Drew Aller had been on board for, you know, eight, nine months as a commit. Right. And so there was no surprises there. Sean Clifford knew that come the second week of January, this six foot five, 230 pound freshman with all the accolades was going to be showing up on his doorstep and ready to compete. And and as things went and Drew Aller went from maybe maybe being the fourth guy on the depth chart to being definitively the number two guy on the depth chart by the time they got out of August, that pressure intensified, I think, at least externally. Let's face it, though, inside that building, I think everybody really respects what Drew Aller can do. And I think there's probably in some ways some guys who would like to see Drew Aller get a longer look and maybe see what he could do to elevate this offense and maybe stretch the field a little bit more. But this is a four-time team captain in Sean Clifford, and everybody on that team will reference all the things he's seen as a Big Ten starting quarterback, not to mention this Ohio State team three times already as a starter. He's been at least the number three quarterback in this matchup five times in the past. So it, it, there is so much of the intangibles that the coaching staff and the teammates will point to. What is the problem is the tangibles haven't been pretty at times in some key moments and coming out of that bye week, when he comes out of the gates and he's a 38% completion percentage at Michigan and they don't complete a, a first down pass until the third quarter. And you're thinking, okay, well, isn't the point of starting this six year senior 24 year old is because he'll be able to overcome the adversity on the road. What exactly are we doing here? If you're a Penn state coaching staff, but they, they were proven right last week because they stuck with, with Sean Clifford after the first three series, Penn state went three and out punt, three and out punt, interception it was not a good interception and the beaver stadium crowd each series was booing more and more and more and we wondered is this the end it's start number 40 for sean clifford is this the end instead they stuck with him he has four touchdowns he completes i think 74 percent of his passes and he had a smile on his face this week and james franklin made sure everybody knew that he was the offensive player of the week in the big 10 and he paused for five seconds in the media room after letting us know about it. So there's some beating of the chest with Sean Clifford, but I got to be honest, the way we cover him, the way people talk about him, it's week to week. So he's got to earn that again this week. If he doesn't, Penn State's in trouble. And Drew Aller's back on the top top uh, as the top topic next week uh, before in the next matchup. Again, we're talking to Tyler Donahue of our Lions 247 website. They do a great job over there. Check out their work. If you have questions for, for me, for Tyler, Throw them in the chat if you're watching this live. We'll try to get to as many of those as we can. Tyler, real quick, you mentioned Micah Parsons' recruiting visit to Ohio State. I actually got Ohio State in a little bit of trouble there, non-intentionally, uh, because I took a picture of him on the game day set, and uh, he was not supposed to be on the game day set, and tweeted it out. I didn't know that this was a violation. So you, were the, you were the first domino to fall. Yeah, I, and anytime wow. he comes, yeah, anytime he comes up, <laughs> At Ohio State, somebody that, you know, that's been around the beat for a while likes to bring that up and, and blame me for it. And look, I didn't do anything wrong. I just I was like, look, he's up there with Kirk Herbstreet. That's that's a big time recruit Ohio State's after. And uh, yeah, okay, we'll be talking that, about Micah for a long time around here and on this beat. So I'll just add that to my list of stories about him. 
Yeah, I could if if I really dug for it, I could probably send you the tweet, but it, it'd have to it'd take me some while to go find it. <laughs> anyway, but just just a little side story there. When you look at this game, Matt, uh, from a matchup standpoint, and I want you to talk Penn State specifically. Let's start start on the offense. Where does Penn State have to win offensively in your mind to have a chance to win this game? I think they have to win on the perimeter. I mean, I, the easy answer is in the trenches, um, but. I, I, it's really been a bit of a different dynamic playing out for this Penn State offense over the course of this year. The offensive line hasn't really been the hindrance. They not, haven't necessarily been uh, the battering ram in, in some games, but even at Michigan, it's not like they were getting buried in the backfield repeatedly. Uh, they couldn't get much going in any, any regard, but I think right now where you're trying to find a spark for Penn State is with those receivers in one-on-one coverage down the field, Sean Clifford uh, having the confidence to put the ball down the field, and, and those guys going up and getting it. We hadn't seen much of that through the first six games of the season. When you lose Jahan Dotson, I mean, Ohio State fans have seen the highlight reel with him over his college yeah. career. He was very special, and he did it for the last couple of years. He was there at a high level. So when you lose him, you bring in Mitchell Tinsley, who had 14 touchdowns last year for Western Kentucky. It's, it's a leap in, 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 in conference play, of course. But he's got four touchdowns right now. Uh, him and Parker Washington are both right around the same receptions total. I think they're, they're still each short of 30 catches on the year. So it p- pales in comparison to what the Buckeyes are doing in their passing game. Uh, I think both those guys have, have to have big games, 70-plus um, kind of yard games, because 60 yards plus uh, last week – or I'm sorry, 50 yards plus for each of them last week, only the second time that it happened for Tinsley and Washington in the same game. I just don't think that's enough. Um, Sean Clifford is going to need to be able to lean on them down the field, take their shots. I think they'll be playing come from behind for a lot of this. So um, it, it's going to be a big moment for both of those guys. Parker Washington, people have been eyeing him up. Could he take that next step as their replacement? He's got one touchdown. It was last week. It was a spectacular grab, but we're all expecting more from Parker Washington. Maybe he takes another step forward today or uh, this Saturday. And then uh, I think across the field, uh, tight end has been really big for them, Patrick. They, they, Brent Strange was kind of a one-man show there for the first five, six games. It actually kind of dropped off the, the face of the earth, their tight end usage against Michigan and against Northwestern. But it came back in a big way last week. Theo Johnson stepped up with a career game. Uh, it caught a touchdown. Tyler Warren caught a touchdown. He's another tight end, 38-yard grab. And then Brenton Strange, who's putting together an all-Big Ten caliber season, is the other guy in that equation. So they've got the weapons. The key is Sean Clifford uh, being able to trust those guys downfield and then making plays in, in some of the bigger moments of their careers. A lot of the names I just mentioned, they have not been leaned on offensively by the Nittany Lions in a moment like this in their careers. So we're going to learn a lot about several of those guys. Same question, defensive side of the ball for Penn State. Um, I think I may know where you go with this, but curious where you think that that matchup has to be won for the Nittany Lions on on defense. Let's just flip it around and go cornerback, and and it's just such the it's just the talking point this week. We had John Dixon on the field yesterday after practice, speaking with him for a bit, and I think four of the first five or six questions were about some form or fashion of how much respect do you have for this Ohio State wide receiver group? <laughs> I think eventually someone asked, are you tired of being asked about the wide receiver group from Ohio State? And he did say, look, this is the best wide receiver unit that we face since Ohio State in 2021. You know, I mean, there's there's a there's a bunch of guys out there uh, on fantasy football rosters from that team uh, last yeah. year, but they continue to replenish that room. And Julian Fleming is the guy that I think everyone doesn't want to see Penn State be torched by. They'll probably be able to deal with it if C.J. Stroud has himself 
uh, you know, a, a, a strong game. That's what he does. He strings those together. But they prefer it to happen with other receivers involved. Julian Fleming was the crown jewel of the recruiting efforts here in the 2020 class. There was a lot of thought early on that he was going to be a slam dunk pickup for Penn State. They fell off in terms of their passing production at the wrong time of his recruitment. Ohio State did a fantastic job as well, getting him to campus, convincing him it was the right spot for him. And now in year three, he's taken that step, as you well know. Uh, so there's just a lot of names you can reel off. Joey Porter Jr., he's on his way to being the first first-round pick for Penn State at the cornerback position. Johnny Dixon, who started his career at South Carolina, has done a really nice job in his second year with the program. And Kaitlin King, uh, who's a sophomore out of Detroit, he is only, I think, uh, second or third in Power 5 football and pass breakups. Um, that is one behind uh, Joey Porter Jr. Porter has 12. Kalen King has 11. So these guys, since game one against Purdue, when they face 60-plus passes, have been really extraordinary for the most part. But I think they're going to probably uh, earn their uh, earn their accolades this week, and they're going to earn some NFL paydays down the road if they can get it done against Ohio State. You mentioned Julian Fleming, and that was actually – I had noted to ask you about him earlier, so I, I want to go back to that. And you also touched on James Franklin's comments on the elite, you know, conversation. Mm -hmm. Is that where Penn State has to start winning is those type of players? Now, we talked about Michael Parsons earlier. He's obviously a guy that both teams wanted that ended up at Penn State. But do they have to win more of those matchups in recruiting to get to where James Franklin is talking about? Is, is that the difference right now in your mind? I think it's a little chicken versus egg. Do they need to win more in the field or do they need okay. to win more in recruiting? Because they've gotten talent. I mean, look, Ohio State's going to out-recruit 99.7% of everybody across Power 5 football. That includes Penn State. Oftentimes that includes Michigan. That includes Notre Dame. I mean, that's just the way it is right now with what Ohio State can do nationally, plucking guys from different corners of the country. Um, but, yeah, it's important when Penn, when Penn State has guys in their footprint because they don't have that national reach that Ohio State has right now. They don't have the recent national championships. They don't have the recent Heisman Trophy contenders. They don't have as many guys balling out in the NFL right now. They have plenty, but not many programs have as many as Ohio State does. And so what you can do there is when you got a guy like Julian Fleming pop up and he's less than two hours from campus, I mean – there's only so much you can say about that situation and, and, and then the sting of losing him. And James Franklin talked about that sting. He said, it's one thing if you lose a player from, from your recruiting footprint and he goes somewhere far away and you don't really have to deal with him much. And, and, and he has a successful career. Good for him. If he goes somewhere and you've got to see him every single year for the next three or four years, and he's coming back to your campus with the opposing team and you're reminded of it, that's difficult. Um, so I don't really know where it starts for Penn State. I mean, I think right now it starts with them making sure that they level up from the NIL perspective. James Franklin is really ardent about that. The new athletic director, Patrick Kraft, has made that a vocal point early on in, in his career here, um, making sure that they don't fall behind the likes of Ohio State uh, because they're trailing in other regards right now. Um, so James Franklin, he's got that long-term contract, but he is never going to stop with the arms race conversation. The key for him is avoiding pitfalls like they faced last year. It gets a lot easier to, to, to ask for things and, and, and develop that wave of support and make sure guys are staying close to home when you're getting the double-digit wins on, on an annual basis. You know, if they lose this game, they need to bounce back and they need to find a way to run the table, get to 10-2 and two and get to, to a New Year's Six kind of relevancy bowl conversation. They can't go to six and two and then, you know, kind of meander their way through November because then you lose the momentum you games early. The problem for Penn State is they have been able to sustain momentum 
for months at a time, much less years at a time. And Ohio State really hasn't surrendered momentum for about a decade at this point. We, we had a question here from somebody. You'll, you'll be able to answer this. Uh, Yakov asked, he read that a few Penn State offensive linemen may be questionable for the game. Have you heard anything along those lines? Yeah, we get very little. I know you mentioned you get an sure. availability report, which I'm jealous of, but we do get a PK practice and we're obviously aware of what happened last game and who wasn't available. And there are some questions on the offensive front. Landon Tengwall, who started the first five games at left guard for Penn State, um, was not uh, with them uh, last week and, and then against Michigan the week before he was injured in pregame warmup. So um, if he misses this week, that will be three straight. And that means Hunter Norzad, who transferred in as an all Ivy League uh, prospect from Cornell this past offseason, would make his third straight start at left guard. You also want to keep an eye at right tackle. Caden Wallace did not finish the game last week, but he's been rotating with Bryce Effner in that role already. Um, so a bit of a shared, a shared opportunity there. They have some mixing and matching to do, but overall, they've proven they can go seven, maybe eight deep on the offensive front. Different tests this time around, but I would say compared to years past, they're a little better equipped if they have to miss a guy or two in this one, but it's not an opportune time to do it. Absolutely. That will certainly be interesting. Um, you mentioned the NIL, and, and I don't like to necessarily bring that up, but I know when, when it does come up, I find it interesting. I know what Ohio State has done with that. What What is the Penn State approach to NIL thus far? It's still obviously a, a pretty new concept to most people, but how have they handled that? Is, is there collectives on, on that side of things? What's been the overall NIL approach thus far? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few collectives popping up, and I think that's kind of the confusing part for people is there's one like, um, you know, university-wide, athletic department-wide collective, and people are, you know, some people may be more inclined to funnel their finances towards the Power 5 football program because that's what that's what they care about, and that's where they think that Penn State athletics can make the biggest impact globally and nationally. Um, and then there's there's some football-centric ones where guys like Kajana Carter are involved with it. Um, you know, it's, it's some big-time alumni are backing it. I would say, though, Penn State kind of stumbled out the gates. Part of that was they had an athletic director hitting the exit door. That's kind of a hard time to be hitting a, a, a pivot point like this. But Patrick Kraft has come in from Boston College. He's a visionary kind of guy. He's also a very aggressive and proactive personality. And uh, I think they're in a pretty good spot from that standpoint. The problem for them is, um, and I guess maybe it's an advantage uh, in some ways for, for, for a lot of teams, is they didn't dive in head first this time you know, nine months ago. But it looks like some of the teams that dove in head first are paying the penalty for it. And that may yeah. be the case moving ahead. So we'll see. It's it's hard to judge so much in year one of this thing. I think you want to see how teams go into year two and how they recalibrate. But James Franklin has been on the record a few times and, and he's going to beat the drum. They've got work to do. And he's mentioned the, uh, the numbers that Ryan Day has thrown out in Columbus. And he says that needs to be our goal, if not more, because otherwise we're falling behind. Sure, sure. Well, Tyler, I, I know you're busy this week, so I really do appreciate you hopping on with me and, and doing all the stuff we, we did back and forth this week. I will see you on Saturday. I'll come say hi when we get a chance yes. in the press box. But but thanks again for everything. I do really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, and good luck to everybody this weekend who's making the trip to Happy Valley. Hope it's a safe travel for, for all Buckeyes fans making the trip to Beaver Stadium. Should be a beautiful uh, Saturday afternoon here. All right. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk on Saturday. See you later. All right. Later. Thanks again for Tyler jumping on with us. Uh, they, they do. I say this every week, but I truly do mean it. They do great work over there at uh, Alliance 247. If, if you want to go check out kind of the, the Penn State approach to things, they have had plenty of coverage throughout the week.
he mentioned they get to watch practice. Boy, am I jealous about that. We, uh, we don't get to watch practice other, other than the off season. Um, I want to get to this because I saw there was a lot of conversation about it in, uh, in the chat here. Um, rumors are swirling. This was uh, Sue saying from, from YouTube, rumors are swirling that Jackson Smith and Jigba is done for the year. What have you been hearing? I haven't heard, you know, I like to be honest with you guys when I can about this stuff. And, and you all know how the injury approach that Ohio State takes. Um, and, and that's one where they, they don't really get into it. I have not heard that. Here is my perspective on it from what has been put out there publicly on Jackson's injury. Ryan Day, after last week's game, I'm sure you guys all know this, said that he was on that pitch count, that they wanted about 20 snaps for Jackson on his first game back after missing all that time with the hamstring injury. He played 22 snaps. It looked very much to me like when he was done with that 22nd snap, which was that route towards the sideline, that he did injure something. He was talking to trainers. Now, he never went to the tent. He never went to the locker room. He was running up and down on the sidelines. He was you know, kind of stretching his, his leg out a little bit and obviously didn't come back in. Ryan Day said at, at halftime, I think either to the radio broadcast or TV broadcast, that he was, uh, he was probably done for the day. Obviously, the Buckeyes didn't need him. Today, this is Thursday when we're recording this, Ryan Day was asked on his uh, Zoom call about Jackson. and He said he wouldn't be addressing any injuries, but did on a, answer on a follow-up that, you know, the, the idea is they need Jackson ready 100% at the end of the year. And so ramping him up slowly is kind of the approach, and he leaves a lot of that to the medical staff. So 20 snaps last week, if healthy, more snaps this week. You know, it's it, it's that kind of approach to have him ready for Michigan Big Ten Championship, potentially college football playoff, all, all that stuff that, that the Buckeyes could face. So, look, we'll find out Saturday morning Jackson, Jackson's status. It would not surprise me if he is listed as a game-time decision, and then we'll see from there. But you know, this place is like Fort Knox when it comes to the injuries, and, and obviously for a reason they don't want it put out there to everyone. So I just wanted to address that because I saw there was a lot of comments about that. And I'm sure everyone listening to this is, is interested in what's going on with Jackson. So I gave what I know, what I saw, what I think type of type of situation there. But I want to go back and, and talk about this Penn State game because obviously it's it's the biggest game so far that Ohio State has played. And we don't talk football without Tim Hall from 97.1 the fan. Tim, thank you for jumping on again. You uh you really, you've really made this a routine, and I do really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Pat. And again, I'm I'm sorry that I can't I can't partake in the suds. Yeah. Like that's the maybe if we could do this in the morning next time, you know, before I head into work. I mean, how about like a 10 a.m. beer? Wouldn't that fit nice, Pat? You're a guy you can enjoy in all day parts. You live the soccer lifestyle. Those Premier League games are mostly on in the morning out here in the States. Yeah, I have no problem with the morning beer. Um, actually, I, I thoroughly enjoy morning beer. I do wonder if it really fits the theme of happy hour. I mean, I guess the five o'clock somewhere applies in that situation. Well, we're not doing it in happy hour right now. I mean, it's two no. o'clock. So again, yeah. like, the whole point should be whenever you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, oh, yeah, yeah. that is your happy hour, right? happy time yeah. all right well one of these weeks i will schedule with our uh our writer from another team try and get it done in the morning look i'm balancing everyone's schedule here i got to make sure we're done so you can go on the radio i got to make sure that our other writers can get on you know it's 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 a 
Plus, you know, I, ha- I have things to do as well. But let's dive into it. We won't talk about the fact that you can't drink all that much longer. Um, Penn State, obviously, I-, I said it just a minute ago. I think this is the biggest game of the year for the Buckeyes. And, and for those that are watching live, if there's something about this game that, that has got you real nervous, ha- is standing out to you, feel free to throw it in the comment section and, and we'll try and address it. But, Tim, when you look at matchups for this game, um, the one that, that stands out to me on either side of the ball is wide receiver versus cornerbacks. How do you kind of see what that situation breaking down? Obviously, there's talent on both sides for, for those. Or is there a bigger matchup in your mind between these two teams? Well, I know, uh, I mean, I know the guy that everyone's talking about. And by the way, I should take the the hat off that I always wear, even though this the, the, these hats are like a part of me. Those are those are Puma, Puma hat, golf yeah. hats, remember? That's, that's my stuff, even though the hair is messed up. That's not Penn State, so there's no confusion here. So Joey Porter Jr., that's the guy that you're thinking about. And son of a legend, I heard, uh, I heard C.J. Stroud give some comments on that, just sort of a, as – you know, Marvin Harrison is the son of a legend, and so is Joey Porter as well. But this uh, that that is not for those reasons only. It, it is cool in that you see two sons of Hall of Fame players and Hall of Fame level players doing this much so early in their college football careers. But that's I, I think the secondary in general, not just leaving it at Joey Porter Jr., is one of the strengths of Penn State's football team. I actually heard James Franklin say that in scanning some of his midweek press conference, where if you were to look at their three levels of their defense, most Penn State fans would probably say the secondary is their strongest suit. So it's not just Joey. It is going to be a little bit more of a challenging game for Emeka Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Cade Stover getting open as well. All, all of that. So I think if you were looking at Ohio State's defense, you probably wouldn't say the secondary. You might rank that as third of the three levels behind the you know defensive line, linebackers, and secondary. But that that is a matchup, and you know I do think you know, let's talk about one of our linebackers. Let's talk about Tommy Eichenberg, and when you are going to be tasked with putting a hat on one of the better looking freshman players out there in the Big Ten in Nicholas Singleton. I'm looking at that one, Pat, because Tommy's just been making so much hay this season, and he's he's just always in the right spot. He's always in the right position, and he's he's usually where the play ends every single play. So making sure you are in your fits, you know, your gap scheme is good. I think that's going to be a big one, too, to stop that run for Penn State and make Sean Clifford have to beat you with his arm, which, you know, he can do, but – he certainly hasn't been the most consistent guy in Big Ten football at at putting those big games, stacking big games together, call it that. No doubt about it. It will certainly be interesting to see how Sean Clifford performs. I think he's a guy, and we were just talking about it with Tyler, kind of the, the situation at quarterback there. It almost reminds me of when Dwayne Haskins had his performances before he became the starter, when JT Barrett was still here, and a lot of Ohio State fans were calling for JT Barrett. And, you know, obviously Ohio State stuck with JT Barrett. Dwayne Haskins came in and did his thing the next year. We expect the same from Drew Aller down the road. But uh, I am very interested in, in how Penn State's wide receivers uh, or how Ohio State handles Penn State's wide receivers. Parker Washington is a guy who slowly started to come on. He he was a name that, that 
I remember from two years ago when, when they were in, uh, or maybe it was last year. I don't remember. I just remember making a big play against Ohio state. He's, he's their top receiver so far this year, 30 receptions, 388 yards, only one touchdown. I haven't thrown a ton of passing touchdowns. And then Mitchell T Tinsley, who's a transfer has come over four touchdowns this year. Look, we we've talked about Ohio state cornerbacks a lot. Haven't we Tim? And I think they've gotten better. I think Denzel Burke has played well the last two weeks. Now, maybe you throw out last week because Iowa couldn't throw the ball to the receivers in general. But um, I think that going against this group of receivers will be the biggest test Ohio State has faced. Michigan State was probably just in terms of pure receiver talent. Um, but, but I think Penn State has a couple guys that can really challenge you. So how does Denzel Burke respond? Is Cameron Brown back, and how does he respond? If it's not Cameron Brown, what's it look like between J.K. Johnson and uh, Jordan Hancock, who we saw last year? So I think uh, I think it'll it'll be interesting when you look at what Michigan did to Penn State. How what's your confidence level that Ohio State will get back to that running game that they had a couple weeks ago? Um, obviously, last week we're not able to run the ball with the caveat that a good Minnesota rushing team came into Penn state last week and had no success running the ball. Yeah. What, what do you feel? I feel like this is key. Like you can't just become one dimensional against this Penn state team. in my mind. Well, here's the thing that is working against Ohio state right now. Cause I thought a lot about, you know, this particular question or where you're going with this question because of the optics at this point, point in the season in college football we do this every year it comes up when it's time to do a college football playoff ranking show we know that's coming up that that's this coming tuesday right pat if i'm not incorrect yeah very first one so i i don't think that penn state is going to allow themselves to get manhandled again like michigan manhandled them right but when the outside world is looking at the lack of of a strong schedule for the buckeyes they will likely then point and say okay you went to penn state and you didn't nearly rough penn state up the way that michigan roughed them up and again that's not a big deal. That's not how life works. It's not how college football works. You would expect Penn State to have a little bit more pride than that. Like, I mean, I, I guess we technically didn't see it for the Buckeyes against Utah, but they had the big, huge gap in the season as well. That defense was kind of fractured. Then Cam Rising and company, they kind of rolled up that Ohio State defense again in that last game of the season. But maybe that's not the right example. We've seen, you know, say the 2015 Ohio State Buckeyes where that kind of that season got pushed to the brink. And then you saw an incredible response the rest yeah. of the way from a really good football team, right? They were not going to let another performance like Michigan State happen. They took it out on Michigan. They destroyed them. And then they destroyed Notre Dame in the bowl game when it was all said and done. So I do think that's working against you. There was a time maybe where after that game, after Penn State's ugly loss to Michigan in the way Ohio State was humming along, you thought maybe a 21-point spread was possible going to Happy Valley on the road? I mean, come on. Like, I, I know what our record is against Penn State in the last 10 years, but that's still – you got to respect this game a little bit, don't you? I mean, I certainly can see this one being a 10-point game starting the fourth quarter, and Ohio State has to earn this one. And I guess to – you know, to answer the question, 
I don't know if Ohio State is going to be able to run it on. They're not. I'm just going to say they're not going to run the football on Penn State the way Michigan ran the football on Penn State. I just I can't see that happening. I mean, the Buckeyes clearly got to do a little bit better than what they did against Iowa because that's just not that's not good enough. I get the field was short and they were trying to stack the box. Iowa's linebackers are the strength of their team with with Benson and Campbell. They're great players. But I don't know about you, Pat. This it's going to be somewhere in between. And if Ohio State's going to take heat for that, for not beating Penn State by enough, if that's how it comes down to it, then so be it. You'll just have to roll it along and make sure you just keep winning your games and beat Michigan when that game pops up on the schedule. Yeah, I think that's it to me. I mean, yes, there will obviously be the comparisons, but I think you know if you're going to make that comparison, you have to include Michigan played that game at home and Ohio State's going on the road. Not you know, We don't know what the score is going to be tomorrow, but – if, if it's not as dominant of a performance, I think that caveat is, is needed to be included. And I think when you look at rankings, it, it probably will be. I also think it's hard to compare game. You know, different things happen. Guys are in and out, injury, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, it, it's better than not being able to compare, but Ohio State will play Michigan. So we don't have to worry about that ultimately. You just – it, it'll it'll be part of the conversation for a couple weeks for sure but right these two teams will settle it on the field when we assume they'll both be pretty good the college football playoff rankings you brought it up um i said it on on another show i was on the other day i really like the first college football playoff rankings i know some people don't think it matters until the end because i think it sets this year's committee and, and it changes every year some of the pieces on the committee but it sets what this year's committee is looking for and if you're undefeated you don't have to worry about that. But when it comes down to one loss teams and, and things like that, which we'll see, you know, coming up here as, as teams start to fall off and face each other and whatnot, I think what the committee likes in a team becomes apparent by the way they start to rank them with this first ranking. And, and we talk to them afterwards and, you know, you can, you can kind of get the vibe from the committee chair, what, what was important. In your mind, I assume you would have Ohio State number one, assuming they come out of this game with a win. How important do you think it is for Ohio State to be number one in this rankings, or does it matter to you at all? No, I mean, for, for everything that we just talked about, you know, with how you might view a Penn State win if you don't beat them as badly as Michigan did, even though that wouldn't be particularly fair because despite this game, and I see someone there saying, you know, Bobby's opinion was the whiteout at night. Yeah, you put it on the screen there. That that's a guy who's been there in, in the right three points. It's probably true. I mean, it's it's an electric atmosphere. It is a daunting atmosphere. And even when Penn State hasn't beaten us in those whiteouts, they've been very close games. You know, they've been closer games than we expect. But yeah, still, you're still going on the road to Penn State. What do you think? There's not going to be 100,000 fans screaming in the stadium. They're a one loss team. They're ranked 13th in the country. They get a chance to play Ohio State at home and wreck the Buckeyes season for right now. So that's still going to be a big-time college football environment. Michigan had those guys at the big house. But I don't know. Uh, so so you're, you're telling me, Pat, you uh, – is this – are you saying you would have Ohio State number one in the first college football playoff rankings, or that's how you think it's going to go? Because I – there's nothing that I've seen with uh, the respect that Big Ten football has on the block compared to the SEC that a committee of people will put the Buckeyes number one as long as these – I mean, I could I could easily see Georgia and Tennessee one and two, and then they put the Buckeyes at three in the first one, depending on how this goes. 
It, yeah. Tennessee has a game against a ranked Kentucky team. So if they blast Kentucky after already beating Bama, I I could see that. I Also, I don't know if I'd have a big-time problem with that either. I mean, it, this you can only play the schedule that's there, but you obviously have to get some credit for beating teams that are better at this stage of the season. And Notre Dame is a very bad football team at this point in time. People are going to take that into account. We couldn't control that based on when the game was played. They were number five when the game was played, but that's just that's just how it is right now. So I, I don't think Ohio State's going to be number one in the first poll. Do you? Well, so here's what I mean when I say it to Pat. You know, this is when you find out what the committee values because each year we've heard some different things um, about. Sometimes it's it's wins over ranked teams. Sometimes it's game control. You know, you, there's there's various things that there's catchphrases like that that they'll use throughout the rest of the year. And yeah. you know, if you're paying attention, you can grab onto that, and then you can kind of map out. Okay, this is what they're looking for. This is what these teams have done. So it's tough to say because it is a different committee this year. The reason I think Ohio State, I think Ohio State should be number one. But the reason I think the committee as a good shot, I'm not going to say will put them at number one, is the way that Ohio State has beaten every team on their schedule. Plus, assuming you go in and beat Penn State this week, now you have one of those ranked wins that, that, that has been elusive for the Buckeyes this year and a good ranked win on the road. I think when you look at every other team that's kind of in that conversation, there's either an Alabama who's lost a game. They obviously won't be number one, but in the playoff conversation. Or there's been games that have been closer than they should have. And Georgia has one of those with Missouri. Tennessee had one earlier in the year. I forget who it was with. Obviously, they have the great win over Alabama. Clemson's had a couple closer than, than comfortable games. Michigan, Maryland went into their house and, and made it really interesting. Ohio State hasn't, aside from Notre Dame, and let's be honest, that was more than an 11-point game in the second half. Ohio State wanted it to be. Ohio State hasn't had an issue yet. And they've they the metrics when the committee looks at those metrics things, you're, you're going to see a really good offense mm-hmm. and a really good defense. Georgia's defense is is getting back to that standard, and the offense has been pretty good, but but not elite. They haven't had the same running game that they've had in the past. They've certainly got weapons. Tennessee's offense is very good, but the defense isn't at that same level as Ohio State right now. So, I think there's a very strong argument for Ohio State number one. There what is the committee ultimately does, you know, we'll find out Tuesday. But again, I think that's why this is interesting between this one and the next and the last one, I think are less interesting because you kind of can figure it out. But this one, I think will, will give us kind of the blueprint for what they're looking for. Yeah, this you're right. You're right about that. Uh, Tennessee, like like we've said back there, they got another ranked team themselves coming sure. up. It's, yeah, yeah. it's Kentucky and it's not Penn State. So, again, I get that, but their their win against Bama is is a win against Bama. We talk about how high the scores were and all that, and the the, the problem is too, you get to you get to sp- split hairs. That's what's fun about making these arguments, right? We could sit around yeah, a desk right. all day. We could come up with some reasons why we would put Ohio State one. And this is what the committee does. And this is what the committee does. You know, there's it's twelve what they do, people, right? Or like, yeah. We could, you and I should essentially, you 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 could assign us a point to argue, and yeah. I would like to think that you and I, like you play that game in school, right? Like with the debate team, here's a side of a discussion. You might not believe in this side, but too bad. That's your task for today. You're going to argue that side, right. and we could do it, right? And my my argument for Georgia now, since you just you just took Ohio State, is all right. Let's hear it. Is 
you know, some you might get pushed to the brink of a loss, but you know, every team is likely going to have that game at some point. Maybe Georgia just had that earlier in the season, and they yeah. have now hit their stride and not have had anyone play them close since then. Kent State put up 22, and then the Missouri game is when we're going to talk to. But the funny thing about the Missouri game is by the time that I caught wind of it and got home and got to a point where I could get my eyeballs on that TV, it was funny, Pat, and I, I saw you were on Twitter watching it too. At yeah. no point in time did I think that Georgia wasn't going to win that game. Right. It's like something clicked in them, and they said, what the hell? Like, why are we losing to this team? I mean, it was – they, I think they were losing by the time I caught it, but I it started with a Missouri drive, and of course I'm invested in that, like any average college football fan. You're like, all right, come on, like let's go Tigers, right? And I, this is from a Jayhawk here. I'm like, let's go Mizzou, beat these guys. But no, like they just got stoned. They had one pass play over the middle, where if the guy catches it, maybe it extends the drive. But Georgia was just smothering them. I don't know what the first three quarters of that performance were. But by the time I caught them, they looked like they were not going to let that game up, despite how many points they only won by. And you've got the Oregon win, right? Let's focus less on what teams were at the time of the game and what teams have proven to be midway through a football season. Oregon Agreed. just dismantled UCLA. That's a hell of a win, Pat. I mean, that's a it's a hell of a brutal win, 49-3. to If we were going to call all games equal – early in the season, middle of the season, late in the season. And that one to me does help them because Oregon has proven in time to be a good football team. So, so there's those factors. And then the metrics, you look at Georgia offense and defense, they're still right up there with Ohio state. I mean, I was looking at this the other day. I kind of escapes me, but I, is Georgia not top seven in both their total offense? I think might be. be ahead of Ohio state's now at two or three, I think the Buckeyes dipped to four and Ohio State's defense up to two yeah. after stoning Iowa the way that they did. But it's that's what it is. That's why, you know, the Tuesday rankings will be fun to check out, Pat, because are they going to go with with a little bit of that schedule? Who have you beaten with the teams combined with the metrics? Or are we going to go with a little bit of that gut instinct? Just feels like Ohio State is the team to beat, you know, the best team in college football right now. So it pens, the, the Penn State performance is going to be huge, like if they yes. can go out and just dominate them. But I don't – funny as it is, I don't think that performance that they put forth against Iowa on Saturday is going to be a 20-point win at Penn State. I think that's more like a 7-13 to 13 point win, that same performance that they had against Iowa because right. – CJ won't get away with some of those throws that he had. Those will get picked off and those will get returned a good bit too by Penn State's athletes. So it's going to have to be a much, much more high alert type of game for, for Ohio State's offense. Yeah, I agree. And let's be clear with, with the rankings, with the college football playoff rankings, they are not supposed to look at where teams are ranked in the, in the other polls. Now, obviously – these people watch college football, so yeah. they know it's impossible. You know, Ohio State's, right. You know, Ohio State's number two, you know, Georgia's number one, you know, you know all this. But ideally, they are starting with a blank slate. So, like you mentioned, Oregon, for instance, they are ranking Oregon based on what they've done. And then that impacts Georgia, but not where Oregon is necessarily in the AP poll. 
I think that's sometimes why we see some teams, you know, pretty different between where they are in, in this week's AP poll, which will come out Sunday. And then obviously what, where they are in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Tim, you, you mentioned this game with Penn state. I want to get back to that before we wrap this up. What are maybe a key or two for you that, that has to happen for Ohio state in order to win this game? And I don't know if you've done a score prediction yet, but just, just how you feel like it's going to play out up there in, at Beaver stadium. Well, I mean, I think some of our, some of the commenters here have talked about the run game. You got to be able to run it a little bit better than you did against Iowa because, yeah. and, and I do think that's something that's going to happen because we talked about the strength of Penn state's defense being that secondary and, you know, CJ is going to have to make sure that he becomes a little bit more careful of a passer down the stretch, you know? Like, so by the time that we get to November 26th, that team up north that he's crescendoing and he's just, he's not making any of those risky type types of throws that don't need to be made in early downs and distances. You know, you, sometimes if a game becomes on the line, you got to take a shot, you got to take a risk, that'll happen. But I... I do expect the run game to be better. I think you're going to be able to see, you know, Ohio State's passing game play off that a little bit more where, you know, you're going to bring Penn State up into the box a little bit more to where they're going to have to keep Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson honest. And then CJ is going to be able to do some of his CJ things, hit a Mecca, hit Marvin Harrison Jr. down the field. There'll there'll be some big plays, but uh, all in all, like I – I, I I don't think Ohio State's winning this game by 30, Pat. You know, I hadn't put my score prediction down yet, but yeah, I can I can see maybe like a like a 35-17, 35-21 type of football game and beating Penn State on the road. Take that, go the rest of the way and you know, hope and, and hopefully I'm uh I'm wrong in, in Ohio State's defense. That that's another thing, Pat, where I'm maybe I'm maybe equally intrigued, maybe more intrigued by what kind of performance Ohio State's defense can throw out there because they might be feeling pretty good about themselves. But I mean, people just don't I think they do. I think people understand how Iowa might have the worst offense in Big Ten history since like the game yeah. has evolved in the nineteen fifties. I mean if they watched last week, they do. Wow. I mean it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how bad that offense is. And I, I understand you you did what you were supposed to do against that bad defense. Right. You created six turnovers. You had a touchdown against him. So that was pretty nice. But let's uh let's go. Like you you hold this run game and you you get into Sean Clifford's grill a little bit. That could that can make things fun. Let let's let's see what what other notch our defense can kick it up to. Yeah, we had a couple score predictions thrown into the chat. I want to show those. 42-24 from Shane. JVM1341 says 45-17. I assume these are both Ohio State winning. And then uh, Steve Buckholtz, V38, Kitties 17. I like those names there. And uh, Sue said 38-17, good guys. Tim, you you said something about C.J. Stroud needing to be better, and I just want to plug something I wrote last night. Um, I went back and looked at CJ actually went back and looked at every interception he's thrown and a number of his throws that stood out that weren't very good. And because I think we, we all know how good CJ is, but I want to see kind of what happens when he doesn't make the throw, doesn't, you know, play as well as, as 
we expect him to on, on some of these passes because he can make some tremendous throws and, and everyone knows that. You know, I, I dug into it a little bit, specifically Iowa. And I thought Iowa kind of encapsulated it well. The interception he threw and a couple other throws. When, when he's not on, you know, platform, on rhythm, when he doesn't have the clean pocket, he's not Patrick Mahomes or, or those guys, which is becoming a, a bigger thing to be able to throw. Not Patrick Mahomes. He's the best at it, obviously. But, I know what you mean. I know what you yeah, mean. Like, and, you're – he's not you, – you can't sit here and say he's going to be the greatest quarterback ever, right? Yeah, he because, has. Like, he's got ways to go. Yeah, yeah. Going. There's, there's, there's development that's got to happen when you are under duress, when everything goes wrong, right? Yes. When you are getting, you know, shit blocking. Sorry, but you know, you you're know fine. what I'm saying. No, when, good. when, uh, when everything goes haywire, like that, that is when push comes to shove, and he d- he hasn't had to deal with a lot of that. He had barely been touched up into the Iowa game. Would have been sacked four times. I, I know what yeah. you're trying to say, Pat. I get it. Yeah. Well, and and I encourage people to go read it because I did a bunch more digging into that. And I also talked about some of the throws he made. That throw he made to Kate Stover, uh, the one where he ended up hurdling the guy for and picking up 20 yards. That's a throw where CJ looks like a Patrick Mahomes because he has pressure one way, goes the other, comes back. But but go take a look at that. Just a little uh, self-pub for, for one of the stories I did. I'll retweet it when we get done here. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, CJ is, in my mind, the Heisman Trophy favorite, so I don't want to disparage, but I think that they're, you know, he's going to get criticized when it comes to NFL scouting. They always do, and so there, there's Absolutely. more to it than when you're at a When you're at a higher – when your ability's at a higher level, which his is, like you said, I've got him as the Heisman winner still right now, too, again, over Hendon Hooker. You're, you're going to get critiqued more, yeah. and they're going to look up – like you said, there's going to be some plays where, yeah, he is under duress and he does come through and and make it happen. But then they're going to go deep into the analytics and then they're going to find out what your percentages are when you're yeah. under duress. And are you making those good plays more often than not when that happens? That's the thing that he's still got to prove, right? When it when it is just a, you know, bloody the jersey, mud stain on the – even though we don't get to freaking play on grass anymore, but you know what I mean? I grass. Yeah, pull, yeah, it is. It is right. Pulled some NFL films and watched like you know some John Elway footage when half of his jersey is covered with mud and yeah. dirt and those those types of games. Like, how are you making the plays through all of that contact and those hits and being put in uncomfortable positions? Yeah. Well, and the, the biggest thing that I concluded is, and you saw this at the Iowa game, CJ is a guy who bounces back. He doesn't. He, he's calm. He's composed. He figures out how to get through these games, and he's done it his entire career. And look, part of the reason we haven't had this criticism of CJ very much, maybe the first few games when he was still dealing with that shoulder injury, he didn't go to the Big Ten Championship. He didn't go to the college football playoff. So other than Big Ten teams and Oregon, he hasn't faced those elite-level defensive lines and and things like that. And that's what I wanted to point out was he's got to be better in those situations if – Ohio State's going to win a national championship with him because they have the talent to do it. And if he's going to be the player he wants to be in, in the NFL next year and, and going forward in his career. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a crap on CJ type of thing. It was more just, just kind of looking at stuff. All right, Timmy, we've talked about a number of topics. Uh, I think this was a fun, fun half an hour plus on here with you. So uh, thanks again for jumping on. I, uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll be on our way to Iowa. I imagine when we do the show. So, uh, Unless you're unless you're leaving me off this week, I don't, you haven't said anything. So you won't be on your way to Iowa. You'll be on. Or your sorry, way to on the way to Penn State. State. Yeah, too much Iowa on the brain. Talking CJ's <laughs> game last week. You don't know. Maybe I'm going to Iowa this week. 
Yeah, you're gonna cover the game from Iowa City. You got you got to yeah. uh got to stick up for the Buckeye media, right? I could have been that guy. <laughs> yeah, I could have been that right. guy. Had real problems going home today, greeting people like that. That's Why don't a whole you nother... shut up, Burke, and try to figure out how to run your program and fire yeah. your son. We could do a whole podcast on that, but we won't. <laughs> uh, we'll save that for the Iowa Iowa people. Thanks again, Tim. I appreciate you jumping on. Yeah. All right, Pat. See everybody. Right. Go Bucks. Thanks again to Timmy for jumping on. He's been great helping out here. The uh, we, we had Tyler Donahue on earlier from Lions 247. Again, if you missed that part, go back and listen through the podcast. Tyler gave us some great stuff about Penn State. Uh, and, you know, I think we broke down a lot of it. Uh, JVM1341 told me to have another beer. I am going to do that as I sit here at Zaftig Brewery, which allowed me to record here today. So thanks, thanks to them as well. And, and I appreciate all you guys. Let's uh, let's see how this game goes. I think this is going to be obviously the biggest test of the year for the Buckeyes. I haven't done a score prediction yet. That'll come out on Friday, so keep an eye on that for, from Bucknuts. But, um, yeah, we, uh, we'll, we'll be there. Steve and I will be there in, in coverage of it. Check out Dave's What We Learned After the Game, the podcast. We will be on that as well. So we will talk to you guys soon. Cheers. <laughs>